0: The Soil Talk podcast. I am your host, Tim Mundorf, nutrient management lead with Central Valley Ag. In Soil Talk, we will dive into managing soil fertility and applied nutrients while pursuing top yield. All right, welcome to another episode of Soil Talk. If you listened to our last episode, we were talking to Kurt Wolfert with uh, Mosaic, talking about phosphorus products and some of the things that uh, CVA and Mosaic work together on to try to bring good solutions to our growers on the phosphorus side. Today, we want to kind of continue that conversation, but move over to the potassium side. So, Kurt, welcome to the, the show again. Thanks, Tim. For uh, anyone who didn't catch last episode, could you just give us a quick introduction, what your role is there at Mosaic?
1: And Absolutely. So, Kurt Wolfolk with the Mosaic Company. I'm manager for our crop nutrition technologies group. So, I spend most of my time uh, training retail customers and get the opportunity to work with uh, grower groups as well talking about balanced crop nutrition and our performance products that we carry at Mosaic.
0: We talk about balanced crop nutrition, you know, Mick and I like to talk about really all the nutrients. We spend a lot of time, of course, on nitrogen because it's kind of king with corn, but a lot of time on all the macronutrients and the micros. And kind of like we talked about last, last episode, uh, the nice thing about micro essentials, uh, SZ is the opportunity it gives us to give a, a good balanced, uh, fertilizer product that then we can kind of build a program around. But uh, Mosaic doesn't just deal in phosphorus products. You've got uh, several potassium products as well. Can you give us a little overview of what your potassium offerings are?
1: Yeah, as far as potash is concerned, or potassium, we're the second largest producer in North America. So we mentioned in our last episode that phosphate is produced at our manufacturing plants in Central Florida. Potash, on the other hand, is produced 3,000 foot underground in eastern Saskatchewan, a little spot in the road called Esterhazy. It's a mining town where we have uh, several mine shafts, K1, K2, K3. These are really large uh, production potash facilities. Again, 3,000 foot underground, much, much different mining operation uh, to pull that salt out of the ground and manufacture potash fertilizer from that you uh, then what we talked about with phosphate and co-granulation. So as far as potash products that Mosaic uh, builds beyond the typical OO60 product, we also have Pegasus, which is a solution mine product that's an OO62. It's pure white. So you don't have that typical pink or that red that comes from some of those iron uh, pieces that we typically see in that OO60. If you look at our performance product lineup, We've got two performance products in the potash sector. One is called Aspire, and that's about four to five years old now. This is an 0058 with a half percent boron, much like we talked about for microessentials. It's been important for Mosaic to invest in a lot of R&D to figure out ways of making the boron within that product more plant available. So very much similar to the microessentials with the two forms of sulfur. We found that boron, because it is a mobile nutrient, in many cases, the boron that we had included in the first version of a spire uh, leached through the soil too rapidly. So we had to step back with our R&D group and look at ways of taking a sodium borate, which is a fast-release boron, and then a calcium borate or colmonite, which is a slower release over time, and build those and co-compact those into a granule that we call a spire. Again, that's an O58 with a half percent boron. Beyond the aspire product, we've also got KMAG. 2019 is, was the 80th year of KMAG. That product is mined in Carlsbad, New Mexico. It's one of the only places on the, war, on, on the Earth where langbenite is the mineralogy for that product, is produced. And that's a combination of a potassium, magnesium and sulfur. And that has a little bit lower analysis uh, than what you find for normal potash or the Aspire. That's an 00221122 that's product for that KMAG. And the KMAG premium is pretty close to that, but it's, it's a very unique natural mineral. And for those situations, especially on sandy soils where we see uh, maybe the low potassium, low magnesium, need a little extra boost with sulfur, depending on whether we're using a microcentral type product or maybe an AMS type product. It's a really good fit. And for anybody that's, uh, you know, heard of that product before, it used to be called Sulpo Mag, And in 1994 is basically when that got branded as K-Mag rather than Sulpo Mag.
2: So Kurt, you're, you're just making it sound like Tim or I could come up with a blend that we want and call you up and say, hey, make this for us and we'll sell it.
1: We like to be able to uh, offer macro and micronutrient packages so that uh, you know we we still see a need for blending machines, even though we put those macros and those uh, micros together. Yeah, but between the micro essentials, the Aspire and the K Mag, uh, we're covering quite a few nutrients there. And yes, you can you can build a, a fairly precise blend to fit a lot of different crop uptake needs.
0: It gives us a nice portfolio to talk to a grower about. You know, our footprint covers a lot of different things. We've got north central Kansas. We've got northwest Iowa. We've got eastern Nebraska non-irrigated. We've got a lot of Platte River Valley. And then we've got uh, sand hills in Nebraska with some pretty sandy soil that uh, frankly doesn't hold nutrients very well and tends to be low in magnesium. That K-Mag's been a good product for us for a long time fits those low mag soils where we need the magnesium for the crop and also not a bad fit for a top dress mix out with something like urea and get some in-season potassium and some in-season sulfur. So we like the mix, you know, when we're dealing with a guy who's got a really low potassium soil, the, the potash works really well for some of our growers who are chasing yield a little bit better and have their soil fertility lined up a little better, you know, pairing together micro, micro essentials, SC and aspire that's a good tool right there. And again, those uh, most of those guys are also willing to do some products in season when you come in with that K-Mag. So it gives us a nice portfolio to visit with a grower about. They don't necessarily use each one of the tools, but we ought to find a couple tools in there that will work for them.
1: You know, I think that's a great summary, Tim. And just, just to add one other piece, you know, beyond just the lower CEC, those more coarse textured soils, we're really starting to learn at Mosaic. When the uh, The Spire and K-Mag products work in situations where traditionally we would say that that K-level is beyond the critical level or that magnesium number is higher on the soil test than when we would generally recommend, recommend a magnesium recommendation. And the industry, including Mosaic, continues to try to better understand how these different soils, these different clay layers, different sandwiches, sandwiches, if you will, hold on to these nutrients within each layer or within that lattice work and when they're capable of releasing that back for crop uptake in soil solution. So one of the things we're very happy about or excited about is some of our most recent data on KMAG that's showing that just a small inclusion of KMAG into your potash program can add, uh, well, in fact, we've got a new technical bulletin in AgriFacts we just put out. It shows a four and a half bushel increase with uh, like a 20% inclusion of KMAG in with your potash. And so um, it's been neat to see some of the results, both on corn, beans, and then we look at alfalfa, the Aspire and KMAG blend, really do a nice job with with quality, whether that's protein, ADF, NDF-type numbers, and, of course, yield.
0: You know, when you look at plant tissue sampling and, and we do a lot of that here at CVA, especially for the growers that are pushing on the higher end of yield and looking for that next step and a very unexpected result of a lot of plant tissue samples in corn is low magnesium levels in that uh, leaf tissue sample and these are on soils with three five six hundred part per million magnesium and then you get that corn leaf uh, results back and it shows low on mag and I, i'll be honest with you when the grower asked me to explain it i can't but if if he's willing to, to try something we might try some kmag as a way to try to get some again soluble nutrients in there we talk about uh, plant nutrition and we talk about the nutrients in the soil but sometimes adding a soluble nutrient you know to the field even though you know it seems like that nutrient levels high in the soil sometimes we continue to get a response to it
1: yeah there's there's a couple of features that we often train about with kmag and one of the nice features that uh, one of your comments there, Tim, made me think about was, uh, regardless of the rate of K mag that you apply, you'll never adjust pH. So a lot of times with with fertilizers or with salts, we uh, risk adjusting our soil pH maybe when we don't want to. So a person can use a small inclusion of K mag in a blend, or they could use a thousand pounds per acre, and that product because langbanite way that the nutrients dissolve and disassociate into soil solution, that will not adjust pH whatsoever. There's also another key feature that we talk about that's not, not often something that we think about in Nebraska and in Kansas per se, but there are situations where we're concerned about salt index or a re- reduction of germination, whether it's strip till or maybe an air seeder where we're putting product down in thorough. KMAG does not, it has a very low chloride, unlike potash. And so there's a, a, a much safer use rate than you would with potash in Or or in Western Canada. We often talk about sideband situations. So there's a lot of kind of neat features about KMAG to use in different situations when we think about 4R and, and, and just all that that entails.
0: Yeah, it does bring a nice mix of potassium and sulfur. And even if you're not thinking about the magnesium, uh, I have liked it a lot in top dresses, especially as we bring it in again to that systems approach, covering all of our nutrients and trying to balance out things like nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, zinc. Um, K-Mag brings a nice little bit of sulfur and a nice little bit of potassium. You know, and I'm not gonna try to build soil test levels with something like K-Mag, but it certainly might be a nice supplemental piece again in season. When we talk about those four R's a lot of times, especially guys with heavier clay soils, they don't think about timing and timing becomes more important, especially as we go up the yield curve.
1: It does Tim. And and, and just another call out is we're starting to see situations where people have continued to elevate their, their yield and they've been using higher and higher rates of potash. And what that does is that can form a bit of an imbalance. On what we call our cation exchange capacity so we can overload the amount of k and oftentimes k mag we see applied like you said either pre-plant or in a top dress situation and kind of help to balance that out on that cation exchange capacity with that magnesium
0: so kurt when it comes to balancing out those cations are you a believer in bringing those potassium levels up to five, six percent of a saturation, or is that not really the way you uh, fit your crop nutrition?
1: I cover a lot of different geographies, so I, I have to go a little bit neutral, to be honest, Tim. I do find soils in situations where I think that that is applicable and makes sense. I know personally from my own farm in eastern Colorado, uh, you know, where I'm sitting there with 800 part per million K, if you look at some of the percentages that it would take to get everything in these uh, magic ranges, I find that a little bit tricky to do, or or maybe just my wallet does not want to try to accomplish that. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think I think there's I think there's some merit there. I just uh, am not sure it's applicable across all geographies across the globe. Well, Kurt, we sell fertilizer actually. So if you want to
0: put down a thousand pounds of potassium chloride, or you mentioned a thousand pounds of K mag earlier, that, that's a little more than what I would normally recommend. But if you want to buy that, we'd be happy to sell it to you.
1: We uh, we had a customer the other day in California that I was doing a training with, and he was asking me about five hundred pound rate, and uh, I said, "You bet, let's do it." <laughs>
0: yep so let's go back to the aspire a little bit you know boron is one that we kind of chase our tail on a lot we'll see it especially in corn leaves seems like soybean leaves maybe we do a little bit better of getting the the boron into the soybeans of course uh you know for years we've talked about uh boron and alfalfa and i think most growers that are Strong alfalfa growers they recognize that fit of trying to add boron in that balanced fertility program, but corn especially. I mean, even even adding boron into the fertility program, a lot of times you you still struggle to get it into the leaf, and and you still struggle with these low uh, levels of boron. Talk a little bit about that. I, I know it's a soluble nutrient, so maybe it's it's a tough one to build. Um, what are your thoughts?
1: Similar to the microessentials SZ, you know, we talked about the eight micronutrients out of seventeen essential nutrients. It's 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 a distribution issue. It's needed in very very small amounts. Um, you know, monocots need less boron than dicots, and uh, you mentioned alfalfa. It's important if you're applying boron, and an alfalfa grower already knows this, but especially in corn and beans. You know, a lot of us have experience with sulfur and we've seen the effects of sulfur, dark green versus the pale yellow or light green where we didn't apply sulfur. Many times people that start using boron or start using Aspire expect to see a darker green because they've included another nutrient into that balanced crop nutrition package. That's not exactly the way that boron works within a cereal grain like corn. So really, until you go out there and count kernels per row and rows per cob, you know, we talk about uh, aborts. A lot of times that's nitrogen. That may be some other stresses. A lot of things that can cause tip back and aborts like that. But time and time again, as I walk different small plot replicated trials, whether it's at York or Kearney or Aurora, wherever I'm at, where we have small plot replicated research, I can walk into the potash treatment and then I walk into the Aspire treatment and I'll see more uh, fertilized kernels take place where we've applied boron. Any place where I've put uh, a granular boron product in a blend with potash, I will find hot spots. Basically meaning that uh, that root system or there weren't enough plants able to access that boron. So you'll find spots that look really good and then spots that look really poor with higher tip back. And that's generally just because of, regardless of how how good a blending machine you have, regardless of how good of spinner or air machine you have, you simply cannot distribute that boron in an even, uniform application. So the whole concept or idea with a spire is to try to get almost like a saran wrap, if if I might use that poor analogy, try to get, again, a macronutrient as a carrier, that potash, and have two forms of boron in it to get that evenly applied. And that's what we've basically done. So you've got a better application system, a superior delivery system, plus you've got the fast and the slow release boron. And you mentioned corn, Tim. One thing that's of uh, special interest to me that we've learned through our uh, small plot replicated work, as, as populations increase, we see better performance and better response to aspire applications. So as a general rule of thumb, we can see a range of 25,000 to 33,000 plant population will generally fetch about 5 bushel per acre with an aspire application but as you start going into 36, 38, 40 which a lot of us especially with the corn price today aren't necessarily keen on going to those levels of seed population but we can see 7 and 8 bushels uh, we've got a, a site with uh, KSU in northeast kansas where we saw an 8.8 bushel yield response at that KSU research station. But that was at 38,000 plant populations. So I guess my whole point there is kind of Liebig's law, law of the minimum comes into play with micronutrients. As populations get higher, as your root systems get more shallow, there's more and more demand on that soil to be able to provide those micronutrients to the plant. And Many times our organic matter and organic matter mineralization throughout the season, especially in peak demand times, simply can't keep up with what the plant needs to take up to maximize yield.
0: Now, when you talk about that balanced crop nutrition, uh, I did some work a few years ago for a graduate student at the uh, University of Nebraska, and they were looking at boron response and they were very surprised to see boron response in heavily manured fields. As we look at things like cattle manure, it's not a balanced nutrient. It's got a lot of different nutrients in it, but their balance really isn't that good. So, you know, with, with CVA, working with a lot of livestock producers, that's one of the things we want to bring to the table with them is, you know, you've got a great asset in that animal manure, but we may need to bring some of these other products to try to balance in some of the nutrients that are a little bit out of whack compared to what your crops going to take up
1: great call out tim it's it's not a perfect science we still have a lot to learn about the different blends between organics and synthetics and how those can complement each other
0: it's really a systems approach and that's one of the nice things about some of the different products we've been talking about is they just bring more tools into the system to allow us to work with that grower We always want to start with their soil test we want to start with their system you know, what's their what's their application method? Are they strip till? Are they using a starter? Are they no till? Um, are they standard tillage? Have they got the ability to fertigate? And you, know, you know, we can just bring these tools in where they where they seem to fit.
1: You bet.
2: Your- Kurt, one of the things that I've noticed in in the work that I've done with the Spire or any boron product is as I walk those plots later in the season. I always notice where I have boron, whether it's from a spire or from another source, I get a deeper kernel. Uh, have you been noticing that in your plots too?
1: We, we have. Unfortunately, we don't have uh, the data set to support that, but just uh, anecdotally as I've walked plots, would totally agree. And when you think about what makes yield, you, you hit the nail on the head, Nick. I mean, kernel weight is a component, along with the kernels per row and rows per cob, that kernel weight is obviously very instrumental when we think about test weight and overall yield. So yeah, we'll we'll generally get a more plump uh, kernel, a deeper kernel where we, we've applied more on nutrition. Great call out.
0: Kurt, can you give us any hints about what we might see uh, around the corner from Mosaic? Are you playing with any of the other micronutrients, or right now are you mainly focused on the products that you've developed already?
1: We continue. Uh, I, I work very closely with our new product development team. I have a seat at that table, and I'm always taking information from customers and excited to take those new ideas back. And Yeah, Tim, we've, we've done a lot of experimentation through the years, again. As I think back to six macronutrients and eight micronutrients, Mosaic has always been trying to look at combinations uh, from a balanced crop nutrition standpoint for each crop, how we could put uh, copper with microcentral S15 or should we put boron with microcentral SZ. I mean, we're continuing to look at different combinations that work. One thing I've learned, Tim, is that just because the crop needs it and agronomically it makes sense, There are many other considerations that Mosaic and retailers and farmers have to consider. So when we think about storability, when we think, you know, in a warehouse, delivery to a distribution shed, you know, whether that's Oakland or Fremont or wherever that might be, we have to think about how well does that product store? How does it go through strip-till equipment, application equipment, spinners? How does it perform? And uh, corrosivity, abrasion considerations. So there's so many other factors uh our our plants selfishly how does that affect our plant our our engineering aspects but all through the distribution channels how does that product perform throughout you know and how does it even to the point how fast does it dissolve how does it go into soil solution how quickly is that taken up so there's there's many many facets and it's fun uh it really keeps things exciting but um We've got some things we're looking at for Brazil, but as far as North America, uh, stay tuned. We've got a new product that's about to be launched here in about, uh, I'd say, probably two months. It's going to address more uh, sustainability, uh, some some responsibilities that we're looking at at Mosaic. Um, So at this point in time, uh, we've got some new stuff coming down the pipeline we're excited about. Uh, For sure, a new product here in the next month or two and uh, we'll, we'll be hitting the market hard with
0: that. You know, you mentioned uh, some of the sustainability and, and uh, environmental aspects a little bit. It's a common misperception I'll get from people outside of agriculture or even some people in agriculture, you know, they all fertilizer's bad. And someone will say, well, you know, why are you putting this potassium down when you don't really need it? Or according to the university guideline, I don't need it. Well, number one, it's more of a timing thing and and i've got maybe a higher population i'm dealing with with a smaller rooting system and as an agronomist it's something that i want to work with number two i've never seen any environmental negative impact from potassium unless it's some kind of a salt impact generally in a drier climate and and lots of years of application probably of something else like manure Um, but as far as any kind of algae growth or even nitrates obviously potassium has nothing to do with that. And sometimes all fertilizer gets stuck together as having some kind of negative environmental impact. And that is not true.
1: No, very much so. And in our training and education, we spend a lot of time talking about uh, mobility versus immobility in the soil. And then within the plant, you know, there can be a fair amount of confusion. And, and like you said, it's, a lot of it has to do with, with concentration in the soil. So, you take these micronutrients; they're they're uh, pretty low on the risk factor of any environmental concerns. They're not not like the the nitrate or the phosphorus or or in, you know those are the two main culprits that we often talk about. Kurt, when
2: Tim and I got an opportunity to to visit the phosphate mines, and you know it it's one of the things that's a misconception out there that all mining is bad, and and they leave. The land worse than it is, and one of the things that that you guys were very good about showing us is the reclamation process. And quite honestly, I felt like uh, seeing some of your rec- rec- reclaimed sites; they were actually uh, nicer than the surrounding land. Uh, and I think that uh, mining companies get a black eye because of a few bad apples out there, but. Uh, can you discuss that a little bit for us?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good. I think that's a good overview, Mick. I mean, a lot of the, the negative connotation with mining comes from the old original coal mining that occurred in the East and, and other parts of of the U.S. But nevertheless, anytime that you're uh, working with dragline, you know these 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 big cranes with buckets on the front, and doing what is considered strip mining, which is exactly what we do to to get the phosphate rock that appetite is what we're after. We basically take off six to eight foot of topsoil and set it to the side to come back and reclaim that land later in order to get down to that, that fossil rock layer. But yes, we take immense pride in immense amount of time and we've got an entire team of, you know, uh, reclamation team, we've got an ecology team, and they go back in and they will Put that into his, its native state. So when you look at permitting in Florida to go in for phosphate mining, typically it takes about twenty years from the time that we file our first. Uh, basically, all the stuff with the state, with the EPA, the Water Quality Board, it'll take about twenty years before we can ever put a dragline or any piece of equipment to go in and start mining that site. And that's that's good. While that's both uh, EPA and state induced. There's, uh, or regulation, there's additional measures that Mosaic takes across the globe, not only in Florida, but our Brazil operations, uh, modern, uh, various locations where we have manufacturing, where we really pride ourselves on going in and leaving that land better than when it started. And I think this is of of great importance. You know, as a grower myself, uh, we don't get to see the processing that takes place and often some of the way things are left after that fertilizer is taken out of the soil or out of the ground. And so buying a product and knowing that you're working with a company like CBA that has the uh, responsibility and is working with a partner like Mosaic to bring a product where you know that, you know, there's no contaminants, there's no heavy metals, you know, that you're getting a good quality fertilizer you know, that the land is left better than when it was, when it started is, is really important. You know, uh, and I think as we look at more competitive products that come from overseas, we should all probably pause a bit and look at, or at least think about, you know, does this fertilizer granule have some contaminants or some heavy metals or some things in it that we don't want? And how is that company treating the earth and the soil where that fertilizer was taken from. So it's extremely important to mosaic and a great call out there, Nick. Yep.
0: Kurt, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our uh, listeners? We've got, gone through your phosphorus products pretty well, your potassium products pretty well, and the, how we use those different tools. Anything that we missed as we were walking through here? I don't
1: think so. I have really appreciated the opportunity to uh, visit with uh, with both of you and, and, and the entire group here on the podcast, so yeah, just thanks, thanks for the invitation. Really enjoyed it.
0: I was just thinking about the fact that I'm uh, surrounded by a couple of Oklahoma State Cowboys. And in closing, I just wanted to say, yeah
1: <laughs> There you go. That's not bad, Tim. I don't know that I could beat it, I'm not going to try. So uh, <laughs> you.
0: Well, Kurt, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate the, the partnership Mosaic has with Central Valley Ag and. With Mick Godekin and Kurt Walford, Tim Mundorf from Soil Talk. Thank you.
2: Thank you for joining us on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CBA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cvacoop.com, and you can see our Agronomy Focus blog series every other Thursday. With Soil Talk, this is Mick Godekin and Tim Mundorf.